Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, I'm chatting with Ben Solomon, creative director of Conran Design Group US. Ben is spearheaded full identity development, socialization, and activity in activation for top healthcare and wellness brands ranging from AstraZeneca, Roche, and Quest Diagnostics to Merck, Johnson & Johnson, and Havas Mango. In this evolving landscape, he's noted a shift in generic visuals and packaging to more artistic and authentic expressions while still following traditional and corporate sensibilities. Prior to joining Conran, Ben was an ACD with Interbrand Health in New York and an ADD with Interbrand in Shanghai, which I'm really curious to hear more about. Ben and I are going to dig into his story and talk more about branding in the healthcare and wellness space. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Ben Sullivan. Okay, kids, all the way from New York City, and it seems like we have had a lot of New Yorkers here lately, I'm chatting with Ben Solomon. Ben, I'm wondering, should I ask my doctor if Obsessed Show is right for me? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not for me. It's just an extreme condition, so, yeah. <laughs> so there are so many, you know, kind of like tropes and common things that happen in, in this healthcare branding space and in and, and advertising. So I, I hope maybe we can dig into some of that and like which ones are things that you just have to do because you have to and which ones are like like realtors photos on their business cards. Like they just yeah. think they have to do that. So, yeah. but, you know, before we jump in here all the way, like it's, it's mid-August 2020, the most maybe eventful year <laughs> ever for good and bad reasons. Um, how are things in New York right now? How are you hanging in there? Uh, good. I mean, all things considered, um, I think New York as a city and as a, um, you know, just a community has done actually exceptionally well. We got hit hard right in the beginning, but um, I think for the most part, people took it seriously. And um, in doing so, we got used to it. Um, it's starting to open up, which is amazing. There's restaurants are opening up. Um, people are sitting out on the street having dinner and drinks and uh, the parks are filled, which is great. Um, and it, there's just a life and a spirit in New York. Um, it's also summertime in New York, which is always amazing. And yeah, right. Um, yeah. It, thankfully, in the last like month, I would say it started to really feel a bit Maybe because we're all getting used to it, like really used to it. But yeah, uh, right. Um, yeah, it's really starting to come back. So, yeah. And so you guys have offices in New York and London, right? Are those only yeah. two? Yeah. The London office has been back open for a while. They've kind of managed how people return to work. Um, and they're much larger than us in New York. There's six of us. So um, the six of us, you know, we have our, our bio twice a week we have a full team meetings we have we're on zooms and chats you know all day long together um and because there's six of us it's pretty efficient i think the the london team's a much larger team um i think there's 75 to 100 people in that office and the, so they're they're uh managing how people come back to work um it's staggered times i think it's very purposeful when people are in the office together and why they're why, why they're called back to work. Um, 
New York is, is just, is it, it, some industries are obviously coming back. Um, it's just tough because we're so, the people that live in the city and right around it, you know, we're so relying on uh, public transportation and that, that is just like, it's creepingly openly up, but the ridership's so way down. And so, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting. We're, we're on schedule. Uh, Boston, uh, New York is on schedule to, uh, start opening up. I think there's a couple people at the office now, um, in October, we're looking to, to hopefully start returning to the office on a, a more regular schedule. So. And so like subways and buses are, are running at this point, just oh, yeah. 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 less dense than they would have been. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you used to, like, the morning commute, there's no, you used to just smashing up against <laughs> behind you. And that was, that was typical. Nobody liked it, but that, that's what you did. Uh, I can't, I'm like, I haven't been on a subway in five months. So like, I can't imagine. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that again, but. So you guys are largely remote in New York at this point and then London's kind of back and forth. Yeah. Well, I'm really curious to hear more about, um, again, some of this healthcare stuff. And I'm, I'm really curious to dig into the, the Shanghai portion of your story too, but maybe we could get started with your origin story. Like how did you find yourself into this world? Uh, I, yeah, um, I, I was always kind of artistic as a kid. Um, and I think this is kind of a typical story, but as I got into high school and even college, I, I lost it a little bit. Like I think my interests changed. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't study design or anything in college. Um, but then coming out of college, I, uh, I wound up in media relations and part of my job was to actually design, uh, media guides for, um, athletic teams. And these were like press kits essentially. Um, and though I had to write it as well, I actually really enjoyed, um, the layout. And so when I was like 23, my boss took a, chance on me and I got hired as the publications coordinator down in Washington, DC for the, um, Washington capitals of the NHL. And so I was designing game programs and arena graphics and stuff, um, which was amazing. And then I got to the point where, um, I realized that I really liked doing this, but I didn't understand, um, it wasn't great work. <laughs> like I knew, I knew that it, it was like, <laughs> It was, it was great to have a job and I was excited to work in the NHL. Um, but the, the work I was actually doing was not wonderful. <laughs> and so happened to be that the, uh, that winter, the NHL had a lockout. And so th there wasn't games I still had a job, but I also was like itching to, um, get to New York. And so I applied to grad schools, um, gone into Pratt, went to, through Pratt, then started freelancing. And then um, obviously Pratt was uh, a great experience for me, really had some fundamental, I would say the fundamentals of design, color theory, shape theory, typography, got some um, great education there. And then just from there, just just started working in New York and, and plowing through that. I wound up... Um, freelancing for a while and wound up at Interbrand, um, which I took a full-time job as, uh, 
designer actually. And, um, and spent, I would say 10 years at Interbrand almost just kind of weaving my way through that network. Um, I believe one of your, does that include your Shanghai time or it was 10 years yeah. in New York? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would listen to your, your interview with Carlos and he, he went through the Omnicom system. And so I was like, Oh, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, um, you and I talked a little bit about this at the top of the show, like what the, what that New York career path looks like for creative, like, and, and part of that, I, it, like, I'm curious about that because I haven't necessarily seen that in smaller markets. You know, I'm in Indianapolis when I worked in the agency world you go from agency to agency and like all the job titles are different. Nobody knows <laughs> what to call yeah. who. And so I'm just curious uh, what that looked like in, in New York for you. I think it's pretty similar. I think for me, I like, I actually took slightly different path because I stayed at Interbrand so long. Um, uh, people are like, are you nuts? But um, it's just, I, I found it exceptionally rewarding and, and found my way through that. Um, I think New York, especially when you're a young designer, um, there's so many places you could wind up beginning that it's good to actually look or like stay fresh and look around. Um, I think when you find a place that works for me, like stay there, but often as a case, you kind of, you know, bounce from one space to the other, you're getting exposed to different, you know, methods of uh, creative exploration or how, how, how teams work together and how even, even the clients, how clients give you feedback. Um, I think that's, it's, it's interesting. And so, you know, a young designer might bounce around back and forth, back and forth. You go up the, the kind of pay scale and you also gain titles, titles in New York too. I'm, I'm sure it's around elsewhere, but they don't, they don't match up from agency to agency or even industry. So like Conran and Interbrands, obviously branding, um, when you go Havas, which, which we sit under, um, at Conran, uh, you know, they, the, as an advertising firm, they have a different title structure. So wildly different, I'm sure. Yeah. As you're, as you're coming through the system, um, especially in a large market, there's so much you can do with your career and so many facets and, and it's, it's, it's awesome to just explore different industries, different agencies, um, uh, I, I try to tell people that I care about, um, you know, freelancing is a wonderful way to get exposure into spaces. If you really, if you can do it and, and build up a client base, um, it's an awesome way to, to design within cities. Um, but if you're actually going to, at some point, kind of make a professional career from it, and this is like pitches to uh, designers that I interview that I like. I'm like, it helps to join an agency because then you get a title. Then you you start to, you can put that on your resume. You can start to add some of that work into your portfolio. You're working with clients that are um, well-recognized and uh, uh, it's great to like, you know, latch into an agency for a bit, make it your own, get that experience. And then if you want to, go back out and, and bounce your way up the, the scale. But yeah, I've, I've shared similar advice as well, just in terms of, you know, I think a lot of maybe more than ever, there are designers coming out of school thinking, well, I'm just going to freelance or I'm just going to be a solo designer. I'm going to start my own thing. 
Um, and, and I think it's also more doable than it's ever been, but it's also, you have no idea what you don't know. And the things that you'll see kind of inside from inside another agency watching on somebody else's dime and somebody else's direction and somebody else's, you know, uh, business development skills (laughs) to see kind of how all those things work, I think is, is really great combination to figure out number one, what are those things I wasn't even aware of? And number two, like, do I even want to run my own (laughs) agency or my own freelance practice? So I I think that's really good advice. Yeah. I mean, designs, designs a business. Um, it's a hustle. Like, um, when you have, when you're on your own, you are your own business and you're, it's your own hustle. You take the jobs you want. Um, especially as you're building up your portfolio, maybe working with clients that, um, I'm exactly thrilled about. I mean, that's all of us, but that happens. Um, but you're also not protected. Um, and so it's it's a hustle. I did it. Um, and I, I built out the portfolio that that kind of led me to where I wanted to be at that time. Um, but then once you join an agency and once you, whether it's advertising, branding, packaging, uh, production, whatever it is, you start to get, you get out of your own head, you get out of your own space. And then uh, you start to see how, um, this is partially what I love about design too, but the 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 business of it, the the practicality of it, how meaningful it is to create something for for people that you know a, a company that's trying to sell something and to create something for them that is purposeful and uh, emotive. Um, and you get that in an agency because you have strategists reading down your back. You have the copywriter like <laughs> beating you up, like, but and you have the motion graphic designer trying to tell you why your idea is not going to work. But but it's all it's all amazing feedback, and it's all uh, it just helps you. It just helps you grow. So um, so it, yes, to to designers that I like coming in for interviews. Um, Sometimes they just want to be a freelancer. Fine, that's I get it. But also, like you know, always make always make my pitch that um, yeah, get into an agency for a little bit. So, did you um, kind of get into that healthcare swim lane through Interbrand, and was yeah. that something that you were thinking about as you were going into the agency, or is that something you found while you were there? No, um, that was something I found when I was there. Um, I was brought in as a freelancer, um, kind of noodled my way around for a bit and then got offered a full-time job by the health side of it. And, um, the creative director, um, Arjun, who was somebody that he came to my wedding last year, like he's been a mentor and a friend to me, um, for a long, long time. He, he was there for 20 years and he was, you know, he's like, he's one of these dudes that, um, I want to say he was the president of the can healthcare jury. Like he is known he's smart and he was passionate about design and branding. And, um, uh, he hired me, like I said, as a designer, um, and, uh, kind of grew underneath that. Um, I was there for, I want to say two years, um, got promoted. And then, and that's, that's when I, wanted something else. Um, so I went to, uh, the HR team and I, I said, you know, want to try something different. And, and that's when I got transferred to China. 
But the healthcare side of it before going to China, um, what I, people, it's cliche and um, it's easy to beat up healthcare design, um, rightfully so. A lot of it's really not so great, but, um, and I can wax poetically about this a long time, but when you think about- We want some of that too. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about the- when you think about what a, a brand is and what uh, and what a meaningful product is to our lives, um, it's a shame that healthcare gets such a bad rap under such bad design because what they do, the, the science behind the products, and and um, yes, they're making money as well, but they they literally cure cancers. They they help people with migraines, like get through the day, they help people with asthma, uh, drop the anxiety of, of oncoming attacks that like could literally take your life. Um, and the power and the meaning and the opportunity in healthcare to be authentic about how amazing it is. Some of the work they do, um, is, is missed. And, and so for a young designer, when I got into healthcare, I, um, I was not exactly psyched. <laughs> like I was, I was happy <laughs> to be part of Interbrand and like for my whole spiel working for an agency and having this, this global strength behind me now. Um, but the, um, what I soon realized was the, um, the real opportunity in this space. It's like, it's like 20 years behind the rest of branding. That's, but, but the stories that could authentically be told, emotionally told, not like in the cheesy healthcare way, but really powerfully told um, and celebrated, uh, I think is an amazing. And so um, at Conran now, um, we do a lot of, a lot of healthcare. Um, a, right now, it's an industry that's, that's doing very well in, in these COVID times. Um, and it's also, it's so... We're all looking at what our, our health is and, and how it relates to not only the individual, but as a society. And so the stories that these companies can tell without getting cheesy, <laughs> but the stories that they can tell is, and the opportunity they have is just amazing. So, yeah. So what are maybe, um, you know, I, I think it'd be easy to unpack what's wrong with some healthcare brands uh but maybe like what is so you could answer that in part if you want or like what is maybe how conran looks at healthcare branding differently like what are maybe some of the unique points of view that that you guys come at this from yeah i think that um the leadership of conran new york is not a health health care team um uh came from wolf olin's lippincott i came from interbrand health um they come from tech, service, leisure industry. Um, and this is a team that's been in the last, I, I joined now a year and a half ago. Um, the managing director joined a year ago. The, the team's much more kind of broad in our experience of, of branding. And so we actually um, look at all the cues and how, how, how we would approach a project um, as a typical branding project, you know, 
dive deep into who the stakeholders are, dive deep into what the customers want. A boss has an, as an advertising agency has an exceptional knowledge base of who or what customers want. And so like sitting inside the advertising agency has helped us tremendously. Um, but really treat it just as a regular um, branding project that, that uh, you know, we would do for a tech company, we would do for a startup. Um, all, all that process and all that, that um, lead in. Typically, I would say um, in healthcare, when you're branding a drug, some of that stuff gets left out right from the start because there's so many deadlines and regulations that you've jumped through to get a brand accepted. Um, again, having the experience of how to kind of navigate that, uh, those regulations and those hoops. Some projects, you know, their timelines are like packaging projects or sometimes three-year timelines because they have to test um, have to test paper, they have to test quality of ink, they have to test the machines that are going to do this. All that has to get goes through regulation and get verified before they can actually start printing boxes. Um, it's amazing, but uh, it's it's understanding that our clients are often somebody that's they're like, I don't care <laughs> like what process you get to color. I need to test these colors next week and like um i need and and then then they're going to sit for a year to figure out if they're they're um viable colors they're like i don't want to hear your spiel about what colors mean and stuff but in the <laughs> background conran conran very purposely just as a branding agency very purposely starts just selecting um colors and we can tell stories around those colors um and then when the client comes back and has to tell their boss, why are you guys testing these colors? They have a, they have a real narrative around them. And um, I think it's a subtle shift that the way Conran approaches healthcare um, in, in that space, but it's, it's um, so far it's been very rewarding. Um, we've had some great, great projects in the last year. So. It's interesting how those three-year timelines can still have these, you know, panicked rush elements to those long, you know, just because the long project cycle doesn't mean there aren't really quick turns within that. Yeah, super quick turns. And and often, um, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but clients aren't necessarily thinking about that three-year timeline. They're thinking it as in chunks, like I'll get my colors tested, then I'll name it, or maybe, no, maybe I'll get my colors tested, then I'll design a logo, then I'll stick my name to that logo, like and it's all tested independently obviously as a as a branding team the fact that you're designing logos without a name or picking colors without yeah that's pretty wild kind of tough but so that uh, that's common practice is that the name comes later in the process sometimes yeah yeah um and that's just that's just the nature of it as a designer and as a branding team again we're like you know like but we work around it. Um, and as long as we get the, the narratives right and we, we get the client on board for what we're trying to do with this logo, it actually then, you know, let's say the name comes later, then it influences how they're thinking about what their name should be and what it can mm-hmm. be. So we're setting these conversations up early, even if there are super tight gaps and then like, you know, some, like a, a long time and the name's going through regulatory for 
six to eight months, whatever it may be. We can set these conversations up early and, and so that there's a confidence that it's kind of twofold, to be honest. There's a confidence that um, that we can deliver on these markers like in a week, we can give you a logo whenever it is, but that we actually actually have their interests in heart too, because we're talking about it as one complete project. Um, and uh, it's not necessarily um, it's not necessarily of that moment, the design that's being delivered is kind of that, that understanding of what this project means, what it could be, um, how these elements all work together. Um, part of our job is often uh, explaining to clients like, you know, why we wouldn't typically draw a logo before we have a need. Um, but uh, if that's what we need to do, then this is how we're gonna do it um, and, and how it will all link back together. Um, and as an agency, then, then, you know, they don't, they don't, some clients, you know, they don't trust you. They just, they're just trying to get you to pick colors. But I think um, at Conran, we've been really good about um, connecting to our clients and what their needs are, and then taking our time to, to tell them how we work. And that gives them a confidence that, that we're behind them. Do you guys have certain uh, things that you look for, red flags for clients? I know you just said, you know, not all clients are going to trust their agency to pick colors. But um, like, what do you guys look for in a, in a good, good fit client in a healthcare space? Um, I think people that uh, similar to design, I know healthcare clients bounce around because I've, I've seen some multiple clients show up in different, different companies. Um, and so I think that... Uh, it's twofold again. Um, if uh, your client, if your client is just pushing you to pump something out uh, that we may not actually feel fully confident in, then um, I lose a little trust in in that confident in that client because they could very easily just turn around and, and blame it on us. I think that. For the most part, that rarely happens, but it does happen where you get kind of tossed under the bus um, as an agency. Uh, and that's because maybe the brief was wrong or they're not internally aligned or we're just totally not in sync with the client. There's a lot of reasons that could happen, but it, unfortunately it does happen. And um, kind of keep an eye out for if, if somebody's really just pushing you and doesn't, doesn't want to hear your story, to be honest. But I think for the vast majority of the clients um, we have that I've worked with personally, they're interested in your story because, again, it gives them confidence, not only that we'll see the project through with them, but that we also know from our side uh, what we're talking about. And um, they may not understand the value of it, but we do. And we can, we can help shape that discussions for them and, and their you know, everybody's got a boss, so they have to sell it up. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll dig more into the healthcare stuff, but I, I want to make sure that we don't gloss over this Shanghai bullet point that has just barely been touched on yeah. in this story. So how did, how did that opportunity come to be? And what was it like deciding to go to Shanghai? Uh, it was, um, like I said, I was working in healthcare as a younger designer. Now I'm an old man, but a younger designer. Um, uh, and I wanted to do more. So I asked 
um, the HR team what opportunities existed, specifically a transfer. I had never, I had traveled quite a bit, but I never worked abroad. And um, it was something that I always wanted to do. It's part of the reason why I joined a large agency to begin with. Um, and China for me, I had three opportunities and China for me was as a promotion. I had been in New York now for, I want to say eight years or nine years, somewhere in there. And I, I needed a change. And uh, China was, um, I always had a interest in Eastern culture and um, China specifically. Um, and I was, uh, they were, they gave me a design test, which was actually the only opportunity <laughs> like um, that, that gave me a design test. Um, and I was like, I went, so hard for against that test like i i remember i spent like probably three or four days just perfecting it it was for a chinese bank um and i just i just loved it i dived deep into it i had a couple interviews there um they liked me i didn't speak a lick of chinese i didn't i didn't understand it i was um the only westerner at the time in the office um and it was just uh an amazing opportunity for me and I wasn't ready for a change. And so I took that. Um, and I mentioned it to you off camera, but, um, it was, uh, easily one of the most challenging times of my life personally. And you're lonely, um, professionally because it's tough to find your footing in a totally new market, um, different perspectives on design. Uh, but it was at the end of it, it was the most, one of the most, rewarding professional and personal experiences I ever had. Um, again, I can wax poetically on that too, but, uh, it was, <laughs> uh, I mean, amazing clients, giant corporations that are trying to come into the China, Chinese market or, you know, South Asia market, um, uh, Chinese clients going reverse, trying to speak with a global voice. Um, and, and, Again, design is a business. So tr trying to elevate the, the discussion away from what your PowerPoint is going to look like and really why, why you should think about the colors you're using and what those are communicating back out to your audiences. Um, trying to have that discussion with, um, you know, Chinese CMOs. Like it's, it's, uh, it was a challenge. And, um, it really, it was just an exceptional experience though. Um, I think that the other side of that is that um, the way, my understanding of the way the Chinese language works and how, how you build meaning and, and the syntax of that, uh, what is valued um, to executives over there, how they see what branding is um, and how, how branding has evolved in China, even in the last, five years, whatever it may be, um, understanding how somebody is <laughs> for all my BS stories about what color you should pick. It's not resonating and it's not, it's not landing. And, um, and that is, that's an empower, very powerful experience as well, because it's not like a flat out rejection. It's not like, I don't, I don't like purple. It's like, um, 
I don't even understand what you're trying to tell me, man. Like this, this <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And, and you learn how to, I, I learned, I learned to appreciate how, how um, varied people's perceptions are, how varied, uh, um, design is valued and and what good does what what is considered good design um and it's being in a new york bubble a little bit it's easy to get stuck in um you know what is good design versus uh how somebody else sees that and and their perception is just as valuable as as yours and so taking into consideration all this stuff um it is extremely challenging, but again, extremely rewarding. So I, I think we would probably spend a whole, another whole hour just talking about the Shanghai experience, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm curious about really basic things. Like I would assume most folks over there spoke some English or if not like really good English. So you're probably communicating in English most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, by the time I left, I could, if I knew what the conversation was about and and they spoke slowly in Chinese, I could kind of follow the feedback. And so I could understand how it was being received or, or what questions they had. Um, but for the most part, like my immediate coworkers, my colleagues, uh, many of them spoke English quite well. I mean, um, I had designers on my team that didn't really speak English. So having giving direction back out to them was sometimes hard. My creative director, um, Fawn, he, uh, he was Chinese by birth, but he grew up a large part in Switzerland. So he spoke, he spoke, uh, <laughs> he spoke, uh, what is it? Swiss, Swiss German, a little bit of English and a little bit of Chinese. Like apparently when he got, he came back to China, they wouldn't let him talk in front of clients because his Chinese was so bad. And to for me to try to communicate <laughs> with him, again, it's, it's just how we communicate. That's the whole, this is a wonderful thing about the design world. It was how we communicate. Um, uh, it was a challenge clients. A lot of them, the executives don't really didn't speak too much. Um, English, the Chinese clients, I should say. Hmm. Okay. Western clients, they might have a Western, um, you know, CMO or, or, uh, marketing lead or something. But for the most part, the executives, the ones that were, would eventually buy into this stuff, um, they didn't speak too much English. But like agency operation stuff like email or your to-do list, or it's all Chinese. <laughs> yeah. They would, uh, email if they needed to, they would email, uh, to me in English. So oh, I, wow. I, I mean, I had wonderful people around me. Um, yeah. my, my two best friends were, uh, two guys I worked with, two designers, um, native uh, Chinese speakers and broken English, but we got along, we had dinners, we talked design, we, you know, gave me feedback. I understood it. Like, yeah. So were you studying like the language while you were there or was that just like the immersion of being in it and around it? Yeah, no, uh, both. I had like an um, intensive 10 weeks to get up to speed essentially. Um, but as you can imagine, there's slang. <laughs> like I felt like I was probably learning 
their grandpa's Chinese. So there's slang. Oh, right. Yeah. There's like, uh, you know, the speed at which, um, people, people can speak Mandarin is unbelievable. And then there's the, all the, the different tones again. So like if, if we're out to lunch and they're talking about soup, like I understand again, like given the context, I understand they're saying soup and not horse or something like that. And oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think about that with English often and like all this, the words that sound similar and yeah. just even, um, I did a quick road trip, uh, last week and kind of went into the, the South and, you know, you hear people talking and like the vowels are different and like just the way we pronounce things, even all English. Like I can only imagine how difficult that is for non-English native speakers to, <laughs> to come over and be like, wait, you sound nothing like the New Yorkers and you sound nothing like the Californians. And what is amazing, I do have to say the experiences, especially being a part of the agency is I went there and I just like, I knew the decks, like I saw the decks and I saw the strategy and it was a branded deck. It just happened to be in Mandarin. And I could like go over to my design team and my friends and, see them struggling with you know some points in illustrator so it's literally it's like the same tool yeah. same uh same process which i i loved it felt like well, that was incredibly comforting like i mean us as a team we spoke that that it's cheesy we spoke that common language that we understood who we worked for what we were trying to do how we should try to do it how we critique each other like that, that was all the same. So I really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, how did you decide you were done? Like, how did you decide it's time to come back? Um, I had a, actually I had a um, medical experience that brought me back um, to America. And um, my, I have a twin brother. He had a, a family and um, it was time. There's like, again, kind of decisions. There's two paths I could have made there. Um, I could have stayed and been an expat living over there. Um, or at, at this point, I felt very passionately about, um, again, branding, communications, design, and I wanted to come home and uh, bring what I had learned in China um, uh, back to uh, Interbrand. And so, yeah, at, at, at some point I, I went back to work for Interbrand. So very cool. Uh, so maybe switching gears a little bit. Um, it was always the same company. Yeah. But what would you say is, um, one of your proudest moments as a designer and creative? Um, I would say that the work, I'm just talking about two things like the work I did for, um, Huawei in China, which is a, I get it, maybe, maybe rightfully so a bad rap. They're a giant Chinese telecom. Um, but the process and it was, it started before I got there and it didn't finish before I left, but I had been, I was um, coordinating with our chief global creative officer in London. I was working with amazing creatives out of Australia, our Australian office, out of Singapore, out of Japan. I was kind of running point on it. And I was also, um, you know, pushing the design within uh, 
Shanghai. And so um, I remember, this is kind of nerdy, but I remember at some point, and Ogilvy was working on their campaign at the same time. We were working on the corporate brand. They were working on the, Ogilvy was working on the campaign. Two, two different internal teams from the client working, uh, you know, driving the work. And at some point, the campaign was going to, the campaign was ramping up. Our branding work was ramping up. And somebody in uh, Huawei was like, okay, you guys got to, <laughs> these things have to marry together. You like, can't. <laughs> and so it was like a, it was literally a boardroom negotiation. Um, I presented the design in front of um, Huawei executives and Ogilvy. Um, and uh, they presented their work. Um, and the Huawei executives who, again, don't always speak the best English, um, kind of followed what I was saying. And they told Ogilvy to, to be respectful of what we were doing and, and bring it in. Um, and because, uh, and I remember kind of sitting across this, he was a creative director that did a lot of work, I think for AT&T and Ogilvy, he was like a, he's a rock star dude. And, um, and me kind of like, I was just like, yeah, like I was like, I effing nailed it. Like I just nailed it. Um, and so that was just a <laughs> That's personal, awesome. personal win. Um, having, having so much kind of, again, leaning into what I believed about the design, telling my story, why it matters. Um, I, I felt so good. It was like a hundred degrees in Southern China. And it was just like, Oh my God, sleep deprived. But uh, just, just loved it. And then I, I think two other things. Like I, I like doing work for um, smaller, smaller guys. Um, care for the homeless in New York, which is a refresh their logo. Um, they, uh, you know, that's almost is what it is. Like, I don't want to say that side, but like what they do is amazing work. So it's helped. Yeah, very cool. We'll work on that. And then, um, to be honest, I have a, a younger designer now, um, Annie Yang, who's, uh, she's been on some YouTube shows for design. She's really just, she's like an up and coming rock star. And she recently um, presented at a, a, you know, Zoom now conference, but she presented, presented at a design conference, Design Nation, it's called. And to have somebody like her, who's a fabulous designer, who's now starting to get the idea of branding, um, to see her uh, come up, kind of joke about it, but like I'm a proud dad to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. Um, well, maybe I guess Annie can be your answer to this if you want, but <laughs> do you have any, uh, I'm especially curious if you have any design heroes as you were kind of coming up in the biz or anybody that you look up to now? Yeah. Um, I think that like, I definitely always liked, um, the, the classic dudes, uh, Paul Rand and Milton Glazer, like as identity designers, I just, that got me hooked on the power of the logo and, and the, the ability for design to last. Um, and, and especially identity design, the importance of it lasting and, and why that's right. So that's, 
those are the kind of classic guys. Um, David Carson, I loved, um, <laughs> still my approach to design, just tear it up. Um, I, <laughs> he's so much passion, so much, he, he wasn't classically trained. He just did it and made amazing stuff, transformed the way we think about type and, and composition. And I, I, he's definitely a hero of mine. And then, um, nowadays, like I always like Stagmeister and Walsh and definitely Walsh now. And, mm-hmm. um, there's a Aaron Draplin love, love his kind of boldness and approach to stuff. And then, um, Mitch Payon, who's, he's a creative director at this firm called, uh, DIA. Um, he's, he's, he does, I saw him at brand new actually last year and he does a lot of moving motion typing and kind of translating natural rhythm and music and, and motion into typography does amazing stuff. Um, yeah, the, the kind of a real range of stuff. And then like, there's a bunch of Instagrammers that just do, do crazy, hilarious stuff. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I just, I, I love trolling around Instagram and just to see what people, people are just doing crazy stuff. Maybe it's because you're locked in your apartment, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's now we cool. just have time to pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. That's cool. Um, Okay. So the question that I have to ask everybody on the show, because we're obsessed show is what is the thing that you feel like you are most obsessed with right now? And that can be life or work or design or creativity or, or anything, but what do you find you're most obsessed with right now? Um, so I, I mean, I think, so when COVID started, I got like deep into plagues. So I was like, reading about plagues and um this is a new answer for us yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and so i kind of was like deep into that for a while i'm i i love history like I, if i wasn't a designer i'd be an archaeologist like i literally love it um but then uh um but that has um my wife gave me a, a book called Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England, um, which is essentially a travel book, but written for medieval England. And like, A, the stories are amazing, like just how backwards we were, but there's so much little like design details in there from faction to uh, tools they use to the materials they use and stuff. And it's just it's amazing to read. Like there's this, my antidote from this book is like until the 14th century in England, they, people didn't design a shoe for your left foot and your right foot. They were literally the same form. And, oh, wow. and people had foot problems. <laughs> and, and then, Not so much my left foot, but my right foot yeah. really hurts. So then finally somebody, I, I should look in the book, I, I forget it, but some cobbler was like, <laughs> looked at your feet, like, he's like, maybe we should make things that like work better or fit each other better. And like, so that was, famous. they invented the buttonhole then, which is again, when you invent the buttonhole, 
then you can you don't have to just wear a, a, essentially a bag with a hole on your head like a cape. You can actually stitch clothes to yourself and, and like it transforms fashion. Like it's just it's just amazing. So I'm deep deep into uh, traveling around medieval England right now. <laughs> <laughs> That is really awesome. <laughs> so you've had a chance to work in New York. You work for Interbrand. You've gone to Shanghai. You're deep in healthcare branding. I'm curious if you have any like big dream projects or, you know, other industries or clients that you're really excited to work on someday. Yeah, I think that through Interbrand, I got to touch designing some stuff for National Geographic. They, they have always been one of my like top to uh, things I want to design for. Um, I think now number one would be the Natural History Museum in New York. We just kind of had, because of BLM, um, because of what it means to be an institution kind of founded in colonialism, founded in, you know, whatever we can talk about that as a thing, but I think working for them would be amazing. Um, through Conran right now, we have a lot of exposure through to, um, and this is a particular interest to me, is um, uh, digital therapies. Um, so uh, a bunch of um, smart devices for uh, personal use and also, but then the, the actual digital therapy itself, something that sits between uh, your therapist and the medication you take, this AI learning platforms and stuff. Um, I love I love health and technology together. And so I think um, being at Conran right now, it's really a fascinating time. It's really, really, I'm, I'm excited for those type of projects to keep coming. So. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So I'm curious what maybe you think is the best piece of advice that you've received in your career, or maybe what's another favorite piece of advice for you to pass along to other young designers or coworkers. Yeah, um, I'll probably get beat up for saying this, but I had, um, when I was at that media, uh, my very first job in the media company, um, it's actually at Princeton University, but the team there, um, my boss who like would scare me to death with his red pen because he would just, he would old school print out what I wrote and just edit everything. And like, just to the T, he was such a perfectionist. And, um, which, which is great, which is how you, is the right way to be. But he once told me that, and I was stressing out about something. He, he once told me, he's like, there's, there's never a graphic design emergency. And, and that got stuck in my head. There's never a graphic design emergency. What we do as designers is, um, and this is also part of working in healthcare. What we do as designers is, uh, crucial to how we see the world, how people experience it, how people understand it, the values they build, um, the beauty they see and everything. Uh, but what we, we don't do is we don't cure cancer. We don't, um, you know, we don't build bridges. Some, some structural engineers do and, and designers shape that stuff. But as graphic designers and in branding specifically, there's never a graphic design emergency. And, um, and that little thought for me has like, it allows you to be creative. It allows you not to beat yourself up. It allows you to have the space to um, try things and push concepts. And if you really believe it, try to sell it. 
Um, because at the end of the day, we're, we're about creating um, something that's beautiful, beautiful, but something that's also functional, right? And, and how we get to that answer, working as a freelancer, working in the agencies, being under a different creative director, whatever it is, all that flows differently. Um, and the result isn't, it's not written in stone. It's not math. It's, it's, um, it's design. And so there's never a creative, sorry, there's never a graphic design emergency, um, which, which has, has kind of been a, a bit of an ethos, I think, in, in my career so far. So, yeah, that's a good, good thought. Um, maybe before we wind down here and let you go, um, do you have any like encouragements or asks of our audience? Ah, I, I, I mean, I think that I, I find it difficult now. Um, can like, it's amazing to connect over zoom. Um, and, and, um, I think you forget, unfortunately, I forget sometimes what it means to be creative because there's so much happening right now in the world and you may feel isolated um, and, uh, but there's just amazing, like a troll around the internet. Uh, I, I would have to say in the last two months, the amount of creativity that I've seen coming out is just, it's mind blowing. Like, I think that there's, you know, I just got saw an ad for like, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're trying to fundraise money for a print bound book of 40 artists that have worked they've created over COVID. And I think that that's, that's unbelievably inspiring to me um, that people, maybe it's just because of, you know, my, my tools now PowerPoint essentially and some building decks and telling stories, but um, I'm just inspired by what people have done with this time. And it's tough times, but it's like, there's people are just, people are, are, are just, it, it created creativity doesn't stop. It, it keeps going. And, and, um, I would, I would tell everybody to push forward, almost push through this because, um, we're all listening to the show. We're on the show and we believe in design and, and we believe in creativity and, um, and it, 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 this is the time to actually lean into it. Um, and, and really, yeah. Yeah. That's a great encouragement. I think it's never been a more, <laughs> at least in our lifetimes, a more stressful time to try to be creative, but I think that's great yeah. advice to lean in and push on. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, like, there's, it's, it's inspiring. Like this, this will change and, and all our projects will get done. There's never a graphic design emergency. So just like be creative, like just, just, Look for inspiration. Yeah. Well, um, Ben, before we let you go, tell us where we can learn more about you online or track you down or learn more about Conran. Sure. Uh, Conran, um, we're about to relaunch our New York site in a, in a month. So check that out, which is conrandesigngroup.com. Um, my personal site is brsben.com. It's also four years out of date. So <laughs> all you, all you designers be gentle. Um, but I think, 
yeah and i'm on instagram as well same handle um Sounds good. Well, we will link to all of that goodness in the show notes, as well as uh, all the people and places and things that we referenced during the show. Um, And I appreciated chatting with you today. Yeah, I really appreciate the time. It's great to, as a push for creatives to stick together, to talk, to, to again, elevate what it is we do to, to celebrate what we do. And um, this is a great platform to do that. So thank you for having me. I really really enjoyed it feels good to get some of this this these ideas out so. yeah well we can as your doctor has told us you know obsessed show <laughs> also is a great therapy for <laughs> for covid and yeah. quarantine uh so thanks for being with us today and thank you for being obsessed with design okay kids that's episode 149 in the books for all of today's show notes head over to obsessedshow.com And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. The Obsessed Show is produced by yours truly, Josh Miles. To have me speak or MC at your next event, head over to joshmiles.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Stop.